0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Where Are All My Friends? This week is with Danny Cock, who is a composer and a very successful one at that. He has had his work in Spider-Man, The Avengers, Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, Captain America, so many things, a ton of video games, the list goes on. And he has a very cool story. Another piece of his story is that at a very young age, he was diagnosed with cancer and he overcame that. So in this episode, not only do we talk about growing as a musician, his first band was signed to Linkin Park's record label. It's crazy. So we talk about his story as a musician, but we also talk about his story as a human and as a dude who went through uh, battling cancer and overcoming that and a lot of the perspective that he learned in that, which to me was fascinating because I think the lessons that he learned and the person that he became through that was very formative. And I think that that's super valuable perspective for anyone listening, any field, just life in general. I really liked his outlook and I hope that it helps you. If you're listening to the show and you like it, do me a massive favor and subscribe on Spotify. I'm trying to hit their new Spotify charts. So the more people I have listening on the platform, the more people subscribing, the closer I get, it would mean a lot to me. Another incredible thing that you can do is shoot me a message on Instagram. I truly love to hear from every listener. If you have feedback, if you have guest suggestions, even if you just want to say hi, I love hearing from you. Shoot me a message. It means a lot. If you want to message danny his handle is at danny cock d-a-n-n-y-c-o-c-k-e oh and one last thing that i wanted to say is by the time this episode is out danny will have just dropped a new album that he talked about in this episode called world on pause so that comes out on friday august 7th so if you're listening to this go and find that album because it'll be out everywhere with that said let's get into an excellent episode Here we are, another episode of Where Are All My Friends, and this week is with Danny Cock. And there are times on this show where I'm very, very close with people, and there are other times where I've really just met them. And I enjoy both for such different reasons. Like I think with friends that I've known forever, you learn things that you really don't know. But with newer friends, there's everything there. And it's such a wild ride that you get to experience and riff back and forth. And that's really what this one is with us. Like we were introduced by a mutual friend and pretty much out the rip. I was like, oh, it looks like he has a cool story. Like it looks like you've done a lot in a, in music, but in your own really interesting lane. And really anybody that's done that is somebody that I want to talk to So thank you for taking the time to do this today.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, I I, I think this will be a really fun one. So to start it off right in the beginning, anybody listening to this who doesn't know who you are, quickly tell a listener who you are and what you do.
1: So yeah, I'm Danny Cock, LOL, sometimes I put on that. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, But yeah, I'm a composer, so I do a lot of video games, film, um, kind of got started in trailers and like sync stuff, sound design as well. Um, in the last couple of years, I've been releasing my own solo albums, like kind of artist-free composing albums that are, um, you know, instrumental, experiential kind of songs, so yeah, just staying busy and like on the path for life and on the path for music and I yeah <laughs> that's, somehow that's still really surviving. Cool.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it, no, dude, and like I think I think the reason that I wanted to talk to you was if you're into music, I think that it's really easy to not know how do I say that. There's a lot of different paths in music where you can make music and you can make art, and maybe people don't realize that those are there. So I think a lot of artists, like I've talked to friends of mine that are like artists, you know, like they're, you know, they're in a band or they're their own solo artist. And they always talk about like, damn, I dream of like making music for a video game one day or something like that. And it's like, no, that's a very real thing. Like that definitely can be part of it. So any conversation that I can have with somebody that's worked in music, works in music, but in a way where you're like, oh, interesting. Like what's that part of it like is awesome to me. So this is, this is cool.
1: And it's really, it's um, crossing over a lot more as like uh, bands and songs and covers and like remixes are kind of really getting um, a lot of focus in sync. I yeah. think this, like these compartmental compartmentalized little areas that were, you know, their own thing that you would just dedicate your life to that zone are now yeah. opening up to where it is sort of everybody you know, crossing into these areas, which is really cool. There's, you know, less like um pigeonholing kind of going on too.
0: Totally, totally. And really for the podcast, at least right now, the time we're recording it, the only other composer I've had on the show was actually a mutual friend of ours, Matthew Morgan, which was so funny because I didn't even realize that you guys
1: knew each other. Yeah. For, f- um man, few years now.
0: Yeah, which is so cool. And I loved his story. And there was so many things about just hearing what he had to say on it that blew my mind. So I'm excited. I feel like I'm going to learn a lot in talking to you. And I hope that any listener learns a lot too. Um, what I like to start is just for you as an artist getting into music, take me back. My favorite spot to go is like the spot where you kind of found your thing, be it music or your first hobby or interest, like what led you to going down this
1: career field. So it's interesting. Yeah, like right at 11, I picked up a guitar and literally from that day on, it was this thing that I just did with like a driving force. So, but it's evolved. It's gone through many different paths. But, um, you know, I started as a kid playing guitar and then also getting into multi-track recording. So my sister had a drum set, which I totally overtook. I got a bass, you know, keyboard, like just started uh, tracking myself playing all the instruments. Um, then I started playing in bands around 14 years old, all the way till I was 19. We actually, my band got signed, um, by Lincoln park when they were like first kind of blowing up. So they, uh, developed us for a few years and directly it, like
0: Linkin park Lincoln park, like Mike Shinoda specifically.
1: Yeah. So he came to our band rehearsals up in Sacramento a few times. Like we would go to their shows and like a ton of information just as far as like songwriting really developing us and kind of the trajectory was to be like going on tour with them and opening up for them. And we were going to be the first band on their um, label that they had started. So it was like a very slow brew thing, but um, you know, we're young too and like antsy. Um, But so yeah, at around 19 years old right out of high school, like that started happening and uh, we were playing in a serious band, like playing a ton of local shows and small tours. um, Like, we were kids, but we had our a few little EPs out and stuff. And then, um, you know, Mike helping us, they actually bought us Pro Tools. And that shifted our band from, like, a band in the band room kind of band to yeah. me on the computer, like, tracking demos. code so they wanted new songs constantly. So instead of, like, hashing out songs like we probably should have done in the band room, I kind of used the computer back then to write all the instrumentals for the band And, you know, my drummer, like we would record him and we would just sit and hash out stuff a little bit more kind of like how Linkin Park does, which is more, you know, studio composition, uh, using the computer as an instrument basically, too. Yeah. Uh, So that was my start. What would eventually become composing is getting to really make, you know, the the computer was everything. So uh, totally killed the band, I would say. But. (laughs) <laughs> as far as like, you know, what a band should be like, if you're going to be a band like playing together, there's an organism kind of thing about doing that. Um, There's an energy. So we sort of morphed into something else. But actually, by the time we did, I ended up getting diagnosed with um stage three B cancer. So we were making a record down in L.A. We are like finally four years into, you know, all these, you know, hundreds of demos and like tons of songs. Um we were finally going to like make the record and it was actually with this guy, Danny Loner from nine inch nails. And he's a, you know, he's produced like perfect circle and like he's just in that scene and, you know, producing tons of bands and artists and stuff. So, uh, but it was at Danny's house. We were there for a month recording when I was diagnosed and we were down here, you know, staying basically at our, our manager's place and then at Danny's and I was just in crazy pain. So I'd be recording guitars, like shaking in tears and it turns out and then I finally, you know, was like laying down by the end of it, like barely could get up. Um, so the band dropped me off at the ER and then it turned out like my kidney was twisted 180 degrees around. And um, I had a giant tumor there and then I had tumors all over my lungs and in my abdomen. I had many, many tumors. So um, it was like a total just stopped that entire thing of making an album. And like the band just was on pause for about a year while I was I went through chemo. Um, surgery like a really big surgery and then more chemo um, but that whole time too I kept you know had the computer in my room and I just kept writing on the computer which was kind of pre-sample library days like contact all that stuff wasn't really a thing back then so I think it was like contact one or contact two um, so anyways fast forward a little that band ended up breaking up shortly after and you know like a couple of the guys got Kids and, you know, things started happening where it was, like, not happening. We had lost that momentum. So um, I had built a studio with another um, bandmate in Sacramento. So we built, like, a crazy little studio inside of our band practice room, which we were just renting monthly. It was a totally terrible idea. Yeah. Um, but we got really into the studio side. So I started recording a bunch of bands. And then we started another band that was, like, a cinematic band called broken iris um okay. actually my brother-in-law was the songwriter and then or my soon-to-be brother-in-law oh, okay. uh, before he was my brother-in-law but um yeah a couple years of just like a doing this studio band thing where we had a cellist we did all these backing tracks we had like the hybrid kind of before that stuff was happening in trailers we were kind of doing that sound you know with the acoustic rock band and then like electronic industrial elements Um, Mm -hmm. so, but that really got me into, like, I started really listening to film scores and really getting into orchestration and then started composing my own pieces and yeah, fast forward a few more years after many recording, many local bands to learn engineering and mixing, recording my own band to keep writing. And then I was teaching guitar, teaching piano. I was just making music like my entire from morning till night. And my parents were really cool and they let me live at home so I could do that. They like, till I was like 28 and then finally yeah. moved to LA and within a year um I put out a, a trailer album that I wasn't even really intending to be for trailers I was just kind of taking my compositions that I had worked on which were like industrial orchestral but more kind of like Inch nails meets orchestral kind of stuff and then yeah. that basically that album came out and blew up and I was all of a sudden in like you know spider-man and snow White and the huntsman and avengers and like captain america and all these like huge trailers um 2011 just like i was in all the trailers that year and it just all of a sudden flipped like a switch and then i had basically a composing career and i've been able to somehow sustain it and keep evolving it and um but that's even changed a lot too which has been really cool
0: Damn, dude. Okay, well, that <laughs> typically, normally, I would stop you in like some of these parts because there's a couple things you said in all of this where I'm like, "Whoa, we need to talk about this." But I, I was just in like that story, like I'm following along, and I'm like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, <laughs> whoa." So, yeah. you did a really good job like laying that timeline out. But I want to go back to a couple things that stuck out in that story because you said some things in that where I'm like, that's, yeah, just, "That, yeah, like, sorry, I needs dropped a mouthful there. there." Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: okay. So I'm going to go back in in as best as I can through that story for a couple points and just humor me a little bit. Indulge me in some of these details. What, With the timeline that you said, what year is it that your band is starting to get noticed and Linkin Park finds you?
1: So in 2000, which is right when I graduated high school, was... um, that summer we recorded an EP that we went to a Lincoln Park show and our bass player gave the CD to Mike Shinoda who ended up calling us and that started this whole like many times okay. many emails many phone calls may, and we went to the, his yeah. place a few times and yeah. recorded demos down in LA at his Amazing. house yeah okay so that 2000 yeah that
0: in itself that's so crazy because like what what nowadays as an artist, if you have something, if you're good and you just upload it to SoundCloud, Spotify, if it goes on TikTok and kids start using it, like, it's going to get discovered and A&Rs are going to be knocking. Like, they're going to find you. And as you're saying that to me, I'm like, I mean, what, Hybrid Theory came out and started blowing up? 2000,
1: 2001? Yeah, 2000. So this was, like, right as Hybrid Theory was blowing up and they were playing, you know, huge arena shows right. pretty much right in the That's beginning. That's Yeah.
0: The fact that your bass player handed a CD, like, that's a scene out of a movie. That's, like, the OG way to get well, discovered. it's pre-internet,
1: so, that. yeah, we didn't have right. all that stuff, so we had exactly flip phones and, and yeah.
0: <laughs> right, and it's it's nuts, like, I just, I have a certain amount of respect for that because I think that, like, the OG, like, it's, like, I think that we need to appreciate the day and age we live in now, where you can just have talent and upload it, and it can get found. Because you had to get you had to get creative pre-internet, and I love that story. So that's really crazy. I we could probably do an entire podcast about just an experience of working directly with Lincoln Park. To, I don't know, did they sign other bands, or was that kind of just like a thing of like a random they got excited and wanted to do something, try it with you guys.
1: I think it was um, a goal that Mike had had to basically create a label and have facilitate other artists. And um, and it was called Machine Shop originally. And okay. we were the first band on it and the, wow. what helped create the label at the time. But they had soon after, um, I will blank on all their names, but they had a few hip hop artists and a female um, electronic singer. Really cool um not a ton of rock we were kind of like the only rock we were like an ambient i was gonna ask
0: so you were rock ambient we were rock, rock? We we're
1: like i wouldn't say new metal because we weren't like heavy in that way but we had heavy rock you know alternative we were like radio rock kind of stuff but with like a little bit more kind of like weird ambient guitars and like i did a lot of experimental kind of like the instrumentation was more experimental than just like radio rock, but we had those kind of choruses and like, yeah.
0: Okay. If you were to like relate it to a band and I hope I'm not putting you on the spot too hard for that. Oh
1: man. I think I've literally blanked on all the, I mean, we loved perfect circle. We loved, um, I mean, we had like a little bit of LinkedIn park, but we didn't have like the hip hop or the electronics like that. Um, got it. It was like
0: no, that's kind of yeah.
1: classic two thousand to two thousand six yeah. rock. <laughs> okay, cool.
0: Yeah, because I was just, I was really trying to like immerse myself in that moment and get that feeling of what that must have been like and the music you were writing. So that's absolutely insane. And to work like I mean, especially in that time, like now, Lincoln Park is absolutely legendary. But really, when Hybrid Theory was going off, like that to me, I, you're probably a generation older than I am. I'm twenty nine. So that, to me, was like my first taste of like music outside of the radio. Well I was on the radio, actually. But it was like, "Oh, wait, two genres can meet and it like it, hybrid theory blew my mind. So, like, to work with them at that time must have just been absolutely insane to experience that that's crazy.
1: it was. And I think, in a way, we were too young for it because we weren't mature enough, I think, to realize like what opportunity we had. And so we were kind of, like, fighting this, like, angsty feeling of, like, we just want to be out there touring and playing. But Mike was really about making us learn the craft, and so we could do this without, you know, becoming Mm self-sufficient in our writing. So they actually, like, kind of gave us classes, like uh, Brad and Mike, when we came over, like, binders of songs to study and, like, song structure. And, like, we had to fill things out and, like, you know, learn these not really formulas, but sort of like what works about yeah. big songs, you know, and why, you know, what's this uh, interweaving thread between all these like legendary songs and how do you create a legendary song? We definitely wow. never created a legendary song, but we learned the craft from them, which was really cool. Um, but it's different, you know, and I think their like their uh, methodology was, like I said, a uh, computer driven. And Mike mm-hmm. would write tons of stuff at his house or, you know, each guy would write kind of on their computer and stuff. So yeah, for a band back in that day, it was it definitely didn't help our band. But right. for me, like it definitely helped me because I learned well, like engineering said, yeah, you... and like.
0: You then went to engineering and you learned how to make music on a computer. Yeah,
1: this is my entire life since has been making music on a computer and learning how to use stuff in the room because we recorded a ton and like how to get good tones. But also I was working with my limitations. Like I had two mics and a guitar pod, like the uh, line six pod, terrible oh, yeah. pieces of gear, but we made some pretty stellar demos like for what we had. And that was kind of um, that whole idea we were talking about before the podcast about working creatively with your limitations. I found that actually sparked my creativity even more was to find ways. And I was doing like weird samples and like stuff that I didn't even really know, you know, at the time what was going on. I was just trying to make it to sound good that, you know, um, are now crucial in my process too.
0: Yeah, no, I think, I think that's really, really cool. And. Also, again, nowadays it's pretty easy to have a MacBook Pro and a DAW get yourself some samples. Like, I can't front too much, like, I know, because I really have no musical talent myself, but like, it seems pretty accessible if you have the drive to learn how to make some music on your computer. You don't, Whereas I think you time, need less
1: and less talent now because the samples are getting so good. <laughs> right. But like, at that
0: time, like, I feel like that's pretty ahead of its time to be in the early 2000s being like, yo, here's how to like make a whole song on your computer and make it sound crazy.
1: It was definitely, and I think um, a few years after that on my second band, Broken Iris, where we were doing a lot of programming and a lot of like, um, you know, virtual instruments and stuff, that was still kind of at its early age. And so we had orchestral libraries that were from like Contact One and like, you know, kind of, or like even the old Tascam like, very early computer composing stuff. So it was nice yeah. to kind of get in on that as the tech really has evolved, too, because yeah. still having those roots of kind of just terrible string samples and, like, yeah, and making those work, too, to some degree, and, like, finding little tricks to, like, blend in things to make it sound at least passable. Um, yeah. But what's crazy is actually, so I took, right after the second band I was in, I took my computer my guitars and my pedals and, um, my speakers and stuff down to this beach house, uh, that my friend, her family owned, and they were never there up in like Gualala, like Northern super magical, quiet, like nothing is out there except the ocean and seals and deer. And so I stayed for a week and I didn't have, I didn't talk to anybody. Um, I didn't have cell phone, no, just literally just me and writing and my journals. I journaled a lot. But during that one week, I wrote this 15 minute, uh, probably like 12 cues or 10 to 12 little vignettes. And there was all sorts of different things going on. But that little one week with these bad kind of like old contact samples and everything like ended up being the first album that I released for my trailer stuff, like the the roots of it. And it's what helped me get my yeah. manager it's what helped me like literally pave my way um, was just this one week is crazy.
0: Dude, that's, that's so nuts to reflect on. Cause in that moment, you don't know, like you're just like, Oh, I'll go try something.
1: I just knew I had to write. I came there to write. And the first day I'm like, Oh, I just want to hang out. And I was like, Nope, you're here to write. So I got up really diligently every day. I didn't know what I was going to write, but it was that whole exercise of like, you have to sit yourself down, you know, if it's bad, if it's good, you know, whatever, just sit down and like, do it. And yeah, just see what comes yeah. out, and you'll, you know, usually you'll surprise yourself. And I actually just did that with an album I just finished too, which we can talk about later. But the same idea of just sit down each day and do it.
0: Yeah. Have you ever read a book called The War of Art?
1: By I have Stephen read Presbyte? that, yeah. I love that book. I,
0: it's a really interesting book, but I think like you explained a part of that where it's just like you know, I guess for anybody who hasn't listened or read it, it's a pretty simple concept of basically like any creative, any artist is going to experience resistance. And if you can get past that resistance and what's he call it? You're like your muse, basically, like, yeah, if you can just show up, like if you can just get past the resistance and show up at your guitar, at your computer, at your keyboard, if you're a writer and just do something then the magic happens and And it it seems like you did a good job of that. Yeah.
1: Like it literally, I always feel like when I do that, it's like coming from outside of me. It's like not like there's like other beings or some sort of like collective consciousness or something, you know, like higher self. There's like other weird woo woo things that start to kick in that it's like, okay, this isn't coming from me anymore. This (laughs) is like, yeah, I'm being allowed to make this basically.
0: That's funny. You're familiar with that. Cause as you explained that, I was like, wow, that's crazy. Um, Another part that I wanted to talk about, on a guess a little bit more of a serious level, but hey, here you are now. Is how old were you when you got diagnosed with, with
1: cancer? So it was 2004, and I was 22 years old. So, bro, uh, and we were at the peak of our band excitement too. Like we were, you know, going to Danny Loners and like looking like we we're gonna have an album. And if we had an album, then the next thing would be tour. And like we had the label, we were already on Warner Brothers and uh, Lincoln Park's label. So everything was yeah. ready to go, locked and loaded and you know a lot of many years of hard work. Yeah. And then it was like, boom, just kidding. Uh, but Dude. it was the greatest gift that ever happened to me because who I became and the experience that, um, everything that I learned going through that just like on a spiritual level and the um, my family coming together, like bonding with my family. And I had like kind of a foot on the other side and so there were some weird kind of almost paranormal things that happened and like many times and still have continued to happen, which just kind of gave me like a different view of reality and life and, um, uh, kind of like a magical view of it. And I work with that view. Um, yeah. but it opened up everything like that opened up a depth in me that I would have never had without it. And I probably would maybe be dead from other reasons if like, you know, I hadn't have had that reason or that experience. So. Um, I think it put me on the course for, you know, doing what I'm doing today, meeting my wife, like the life we have now and yeah. all those years up to that point. And I also volunteered in the hospital after my experience was done because um, I was really fortunate that like with testicular cancer, it's very treatable, even though it's advanced in my lungs and like this giant softball in my um, abdomen is still yeah. treatable. So after 18 weeks of chemo and all this stuff, I I made it out and I haven't had to do anything sense so um, I spent a couple years going to the hospital and talking to patients and actually was there with a few when they died so like crazy yeah. stuff has happened in that regard where I've tried to make myself available to people um, to just like be there to talk to yeah. like, sometimes there's nothing to say sometimes you can't sure. you know like put into words what there's no words for it so but in that way it really I, opened my heart up
0: I have a couple particular or specific questions there. One, yeah. and you don't have to go full doctor on this, but I think that it's really easy to just like get in your own head and be afraid of something. So in the simplest form, how did you know that it was something more serious? Like I think you said like your kidneys like felt like crazy, but like if somebody is afraid of something like that, like do you know? Like is it something where you're like, I need to go the fuck to the hospital right now?
1: At that point it had become it, but it was many months of a like a linear ramp up of pain and discomfort mm. so it was not like oh i'm having back pain today but it's gone tomorrow and then it's back again it was a steady yeah. constant like first it started i need to get a new uh mattress at home like my back's hurting mm. then i got a mm. new studio chair and then i was wearing a heat mm. pack on my back and the the band guys that i was recording were like what's up with your heat pack every day you know but got it, it. Also, too, looking back, like I had zero consciousness of health, like what I was eating and like doing and thinking or not doing too, like not doing anything positive exercise wise, like just I was in the studio all day, which was a black windowless room. So I wasn't getting sunlight, fresh air, like, you know, no supplements. Um, So, yeah, it was just kind of like a recipe for disaster and like stress, too. And also like this anxiety to like get our band, you know, get our demos done and all this stuff. So, um, it, I think it was just sitting in my body, but I would tell for someone who is concerned about that stuff, like anything that, um, is not transient where it's consistently there over a month or two is an issue that I would say like, that's worth getting checked out. I still have weird things that come and go like, and it's my mind will go sometimes to those places or I'll have dreams about it and stuff. But I know, like if it ebbs and flows, it's fine. So, cool. Yeah, yeah. Thank
0: you for sharing that. I, again, I don't want to make you go full doctor, but. Oh, no, I love I that. I, the- I'm
1: research the the medical side and like the the woo-woo side. Like I'm all about learning as much as I possibly can and helping others too, because I feel like I've right. sort of, you know, been able to hack a few things for myself and, you know,
0: well, yeah, that's, I think that's the part is just like, if, if any, if there's any amount of awareness that can help somebody find something earlier, or if a friend is experiencing that and you're like, wait a minute, I heard this random thing. You said you've been hearing this or you've been feeling this a lot. Like, I, I think that from what I know, finding things early is a definitely a good thing. So I, yeah. just, I wanted to ask that. Um, the other thing you said there and on nowhere near a magnitude of a level, but like even myself, I had a pretty crazy amazing year last year. I was out on an amazing tour and I broke my femur. What? Well, and yeah. that like I had this crazy stupid surgery, it really checked me. And in that moment, you know, it really felt like oh shit, everything's over. Obviously that is not nearly the same as cancer, but
1: still a I think, derailment well, those, though, yeah.
0: Right. And those moments, I think everybody regardless of what it is can relate to those moments in your life where you're just like something unexpected happens and you're like, this is it. Like everything is ruined. This is over. And I really liked your perspective and the way you look at that of how much better things got later. Um, I don't know if there's anything more to say there if you, if you have more, but I just think that like, that's really inspiring to me. Like that, Dude, you painted this picture, Linkin Park in the early 2000s. You're about to go on tour. You're about to work with homie from Nine Inch Nails. Like, that is insane. And then to have something that big check you, that I can only imagine how scary that was on a day-to-day level and what that must have been like. And the fact that you're now this successful and you have this beautiful perspective, I think is just amazing.
1: You know, is the weirdest thing is that when life knocks you on your ass like that, like you kind of have either two choices. I feel like it's like, well, I'm going to stay down here and get, you know, just stay on the floor or like get back up um, type of that's the initial reaction, I think, too. But then there's a deeper level that I always look at is like my view of life is it's always trying to teach me something like you know, even the tiniest weird things like there's a meaning always like I at least that's what I project onto it. So it becomes yeah. true for me in that way. So because yeah. it's more advantageous to believe it than to be like, well, it could be or it couldn't be. So I'm like, no, I'm just going to believe that it is. And then I sort of manifest the the lessons or the learning. So I take it as like, OK, what am I supposed to learn here? So everything's an opportunity at that point. And there's so many layers deeper, you know, uh, getting knocked out of where your trajectory can be the biggest blessing ever. And if you kind of believe that you're supposed to be in a certain place so you can be who you you came to this earth to be and fulfill like your quest, your cosmic mission or whatever, then yeah. it doesn't necessarily always look like what you think it should look like. And if you roll with it and like trust life, like that life has your back, usually, you know, if it seems to or there's a way to find peace with that, I think, you know, and other people didn't have like I volunteering and they didn't have those same attitudes. And I noticed that there some people just would melt into darkness or melt into hopelessness. And I don't know, it was sad to see, but I think if you roll with um, each thing, good and bad, and just trust that it's for sort of your higher good and like find a, the opportunity to either learn or maybe it's the challenge that really makes you have to like, step up to it or find the meaning somehow inside of that all. And that, that's yeah. what I did at least. And I met people that, you know, going through their cancer experience that they went into depression and hopelessness and it was really sad to see. And I really wanted to bring an alternate perspective and mm-hmm. in sometimes you can't really do that with, when someone's in that kind of zone. But it was weird is that I actually wasn't afraid to like, I was very afraid for the first minute after I got the diagnosis And then like this crazy and I was alone in the hospital for three hours, just sitting there in the ER, just like looking around. I was on some pain medications and stuff, but I felt this total feeling of peace come over me. It was like, you're going to be fine. Like this is going to be crazy, but everything's going to be fine. And I don't know that's when you start getting into the weirder things of like nonlinear time or like, you know, does your future self talk back to your past self and you know,
0: It's funny, dude, because I I don't know how to express some of those feelings without feeling like I'm being a spiritual, crazy, hippie person. But I think to some level, just like energy and manifestation and what you project in the world and those decisions are really, really powerful. Yes. And I don't know how to say that. Like, I don't need to say anything more on that. And, you know, like I'm not trying to be too cheesy about it, but... I what you just said there, I do relate to, and I don't know what that is, but I I, I don't absolutely know either. feel you.
1: I've heard a lot of people say they know what it is, but I kind of treat it right. as this beautiful mystery that I just know it's there. I don't, I yeah. can't explain it, or and even putting names to things kind of takes away from it sometimes.
0: But sure, well, okay, thank you for sharing that, and I think like I just I wanted to touch on that because. Just the idea of I think everybody goes through like if you're fighting the good fight and you're going for your path and your journey and you're trying to accomplish something – it's impossible not to run into roadblocks, big or small. And I love hearing from people like yourself that like overcame them and have this great perspective because that's encouraging to me. Cause then it's like anything in my life, I'm like, well, damn, like if Danny got over cancer, like I'll be all right. Like we can get through this or whatever. And like, I think the more that those stories are shared, the more inspirational it is for anybody to be like, all right, I'm going to keep fighting. So thank you. I love that.
1: Awesome. That's really cool. Yeah, I'll have to remember Dude, that absolutely. too next time I get hung up.
0: <laughs> Dude, yeah. I mean, that's like the whole idea for this podcast, right? Is like if, if I'm talking to these exceptional people and everybody's been at those low points, it's like the next generation, anybody listening is like, all right, if they made it, so can I. So I'm, I'm big on that. Yeah, um, I think the roadblocks the are,
1: are there to help okay. us too. You know, like they're there to see how bad we want it. They're yeah. and they're never going to go away. That's the other thing too. Is like, okay, if you can figure out how to turn this roadblock around now, yeah, you'll be better. You know, off in life because they're always going to pop up something. Yep. You know, will yeah. So. It's, it's <laughs>
0: practice for any roadblock in life. Yeah. If you can learn like, how to deal with one. You can apply it to others.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. Another part that I wanted to talk about is oh, I believe you said 2011 when you had a year of shit really clicking. It was 2011, yeah?
1: Yep, 2011, yeah.
0: Paint that picture for me because you said some pretty crazy <sighs> big movies and that must have felt pretty wild to be like, wait a minute, that's my song and this is a really big movie.
1: So, well, I have to give a little context and back up one year. And Please. 2010 is when I moved to LA and I was kind of okay. um, going on a hope and a whim and the only job I had was recording this one band's album. So I actually lived with the band but I was still doing custom trailer work. Like, you know, nothing had ever landed, but I was still kind of working on these cues and doing a few customs. So while I would record the band all day, then at night I'd have to go and like work on my, you know, I brought my computer and stuff, so I'd just compose while I was living in their like little, you know, back garage. And then I rented like a little shed. So I'm back there just hashing stuff out, like barely making it. Like literally I scored a short film that paid for my rent the day my rent was due, I got paid for the, you know, like stuff like it was just like. And then the last couple months of that, right before my album kind of went off, like I didn't make my rent and I like, had to borrow money from my parents. And like they're like, are you going to get a job now? And so it was like right at that line of like, oh fuck, like I need to make this work somehow. I just knew, like, just hang in there, just hang in there. And then all of a sudden, like, overnight, like literally overnight it was like you have the thor tv spot now you're a captain america trailer then it's now i'm doing a custom for the amazing spider-man then it's mission impossible and then it's snow White and the huntsman and then it was like just and that was just a few of them there were like tons of tv spots in between and it was kind of at a cool point where the trailer market wasn't oversaturated so like yeah. i having this album that was a little bit different i'm kind of like the sound that they wanted for the marvel stuff and um it was just crazy like how fast and everywhere to all the trailer houses and suddenly everybody knew who I was and it was like a crazy you know boom kind of
0: that's that moment yeah like that that, that, that that music was
1: wanted at that time and I thankfully had it ready in time too but yeah and then from there it just kind of kept kept brewing yeah
0: That's so wild. And it makes sense. Like you explaining your background and like starting at 11 and, you know, just gravitating to a guitar. And then as soon as you're given a computer, you're picking it apart and you're learning it and you're working with whatever crappy samples are there. Like it's crazy that that all led up to you having this in time and almost like ahead of that wave of everybody kind of doing that super theatrical vibe.
1: Yeah, it definitely felt like You know, I think the older school trailer guys in the scene were like, wait, what? Because like (laughs) I didn't have the big like $70,000 orchestra and like, you know, they were all kind of doing that at the time. It was a little bit more the orchestral sound, uh, like the traditional trailer sound. So I had come on with kind of like a rock industrial hybrid thing. And then also that I did it in a bedroom was kind of like a new thing. And I actually literally did it while I lived at my parents' house. Some of those songs came from the beach, the one week beach thing. Yeah. And they took, you know, four years to develop into um, what they were. And they they ended up becoming different pieces. But, yeah, it was like a a slow, steady thing that wasn't made for trailers. Like, it was just me doing stuff. And then people were like, oh, this would be really good for this or this. So I was like, okay, cool. I didn't know that. But great. Like, <laughs> now we'll make it, well, I think you know, that's
0: another really cool lesson there, too, right? Is, like, you just did something. You're like, I think I like this. You did it. You shipped it. And then the outside world kind of guided you. It was just like, oh, wait a minute. Here's a place where this could fit great.
1: And I am totally going back to that mode now because I found in the in-between where you're like, okay, now I, I had some success with some placements. I'm going to write trailer music now, like quote-unquote. Um, that's actually when I started finding less creativity oh. less uh innovation like and i have starting to do like more typical or more like um what you would expect kind of thing so yeah. over the years yeah i've actually like been going back to the like i'm just gonna fucking make something and then hope for the best but i'm gonna do it from a place of what i want to hear versus uh yeah. an intention this is for this medium or like so because that's what worked for me back then was doing something that i just was writing what I wanted to hear, writing what I was excited about versus like trying to make something marketable or like syncable or whatever.
0: Yeah, you're always going to be a step behind if you're just following trends because by the time you figure out how to execute that well, the trend is over. Somebody's come up with a new original idea that's cooler.
1: Yeah, and why would you want to choose from 20 of the same sounding composers or or albums? You know, if you're a trailer editor or or just whatever you're doing in life, like why have... You know, everything is good that can sound the same. Like, it doesn't mean it's not good, but it doesn't necessarily stick out or have this fresh thing or this energy to it where you're like, whoa, this is different. You know, like our ears and our brains with music, we're constantly looking for like a new, exciting thing, that dopamine rush, you know? So I, yeah. even when I'm making music, I have to stick to that. I have to stick to what that dopamine kind of like yeah. feeling, like, where I'm like really. So tell tre- me.
0: What inspires you right now? What, like, what are you excited about?
1: Well, so right now, well, um, I just finished an album called "World on Pause" that I, uh, right when like quarantine started, um, yeah, I had like this weird vision. It's kind of like a weird story, but basically, like me battling like a bunch of demons with like a fiery sword, and it just was a strange. I was like half awake and I saw it all yeah. like really clearly. But the next day, I was like, I need to make this album. Um, 12 songs I'm just gonna write 12 songs in 12 days and went in there and just like literally I don't remember making it like something weird Yeah, I'm like I don't know how that stuff came out but I had 12 of probably my best pieces that I've ever written in 12 days and it took me another 12 to flesh each one out and then another 12 to do like the final 5% mixing and mastering and stuff but um, still within like basically a month I had this album that's the most excited I've ever been about my music again, which is cool. After, you know, when you're writing for other, you know, if you're scoring, it's not that you're not excited about it, but there's a very specific checklist. You know, you're kind of servicing um, whatever medium you're writing for. And that there's tons of cool things that can be done in that approach. But when you're writing, when you have 8 million options, you can literally do anything you want. There's like this weird kind of like, whoa, you have to find your inner thing, like what's inside you versus like what's out there because it's just infinite. Um, So, yeah, I really like tapped into that. And then, yeah, it was something weird happened with that album, though.
0: Dude, that's cool, though. Like, again, it's like it's so hard. It's funny because. I think some of the things that we're talking about, like we're not trying to sound like cheesy or like super, like whoa, man. Just like you're. No, that's my fault. Crazy, yeah. but
1: I bring that stuff because like, no, I think I, of the world that way. I've, I'm always living at a half. Yeah, uh, half. Like I, I really do
0: feel you, and I, I think, oh, I don't know. I think people do relate to that to some degree. Like there is that creative spark where you can't quite explain it, and it's cool to hear you, like you know, pretty established into your career, just be like, yo, I don't know, dude, I had this vision. I told myself I had to do it and I showed up and I just let it do its thing. Like, I like that. I think that's cool. I think a lot of artists can relate. Uh, you know, I don't even make music and I can relate to those moments where I'm like, wait, I just need to do this. Hold on.
1: Yeah. There's, it's an energetic thing that you just know you have it in you, the desire to do it. And then like the art of war or the war yeah. Art of War. The War of Art. War of Art. There we the, go. Sorry. Well,
0: one, is, one is the very legendary book. I read like both tactical, of them. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: They're both yeah, very But useful, No, exactly. But yeah.
0: Yeah. That's that's really cool. That's really cool. So is that out now?
1: It comes out August 7th, but there's three singles that we've already released. So the latest one is called uh, Wash This All Away. Cool. That's seems to be doing well out there. That one made like top 50... Um, movie score soundtracks, even though it's never been cool. in a movie, which is kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's
0: yeah. it's like the universe is just being like, you just wait. It'll just be wait. A movie. Yeah. It's you a future wait. movie. Is here, it's here right now. Yeah. <sighs> That's funny. Okay. So we are getting close-ish to the time that I like to keep them at. But I think, again, kind of a a part of the podcast that I like to get into is clearly like you've had your success now in being a composer and like you had that moment where life changed and it it came together. And I really do like to inspire the the next generation. It really doesn't matter, anybody. So as far as being a composer, as far as like yourself, your experiences, if there's somebody listening to this right now and they're interested in that lane. Like they just relate to picking up a computer or an instrument and writing more of like a score, a composition. What is your advice to somebody that's really interested in this lane right now in 2020? Like what what's a good route to do? What are some good practices? What's that look
1: like? Well, so I would say to anybody writing songs or composing or whatever, like the thing you want to do is that the music always paves the way. So like a lot of people maybe will want the idea first or like they have the goal first and like I mm-hmm. want to do this you know for film like but for me I always look at it as like I need to make the music that will get me to those goals first so it's all about making the the music comes first basically so sitting down and writing whether it's a writing challenge like I'm going to write you know 12 cues in 12 days like I just did or I'm going to do an album you know, in the next six months or like within six months, I'm going to do like, I want to score film, but I'm going to score the film that's not even there yet until that film kind of finds me. Or as you're building connections, it's like making the music before even anything starts clicking. And the music for me has always led the way. So it wasn't that I got an opportunity and then had to make the music a lot. It's that way now with my composing gigs and being commissioned, But in the past, like, I made the music that helped me find my manager. Like, he found the music on MySpace, actually, and loved it. And we've been working together for 16, 15 years now. So, like, all, but the music always started it. So, like, if you're going to sit down, you want to do it, you just got to sit down and write, 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 and then see what kind of cool things come from that. And that's usually where it feels like
0: write the things that are authentic to you.
1: Yeah, I would say that's the biggest thing is I'm not a big rule guy or like I'm kind of like a rebel with that stuff. So I try to break my own rules or break the rules of what's the trends are. And I'm not always good at it, but like I think that approach (laughs) is pretty cool because that I feel like the rebellious are sort of rewarded in music. Like there's something in music there's this weird. It's like a slippery bitch, like right, you know, slow soap. When you get your hand on it, it's right. When you think you yeah. have it, it slips out of your hand. So it's this, um, non tangible kind of weird force that we're working with. It's magic basically like making music is magic. So I treat it yeah. like that and I treat it like it's this thing that I can't preplan. I can't like logic myself into it. I can't like organize it. I have to just sit down and make stuff and then it will come together And the opportunities will come from that initial sit down basically, instead of finding the opportunities and then making the music.
0: That's cool, dude. I actually like that a whole lot. And I think that that's, that's probably more universally applicable to all sorts of different careers and professions. I think any,
1: any craft that you just put yourself out there of doing what you're doing and you just keep Mm -hmm. doing it, um, relentlessly and the perseverance that's needed, is you know, taken me what it took me 17 years to get to a place where i had like a career quote unquote for music like yeah it was so many like oh i'm almost there this could work and like no nope, nothing's clicking so it's just like there was times that i cried myself to sleep like of feeling hopeless like i'll never get there i knew where i needed to go but how yeah. do i get there and it took a long time like it took Many, many, you know, hours of effort, and finally something clicked. But, and some people it clicks a lot sooner, there's not like a timetable. But in general, I think perseverance and like a relentless kind of creative attitude usually wins out each time.
0: I absolutely love that. And another question I have, just because you have experienced so much in your career now, is Take me, uh, I'm curious if you have standout moments for both of these, but a highest high in your career and a lowest low. And what you, if you could go back to those moments, what you would tell yourself in both of those. Hmm. So like at a low, like maybe advice that you now have that would get you through it or at a high, maybe something you wish you had done, anything like that. If anything stands out.
1: Uh, The highs are cool. There've been so many like little moments, but- you know, these little kind of just like like a placement in a trailer is always yeah. a really great thing. And now, you know, I've been doing stuff for Rainbow Six where they play, um, you know, I write the music that we're playing at the arena for the the eSports events. So oh whoa. there's like a big arena full, you know, thousands of people and like huge production. And we have an orchestra on stage and, you know, we've re- pre-written all the music. So going to Montreal to the arena to watch like, All that stuff be played by a big orchestra and like all the fans in the room for the game and like how much they those are like fans now of like some of the remixes of like the main game theme that I've done and um other cues for that. So there's all these like little cool moments and um but I'm still kind of after the next ones too. But uh because they're you know, they're quick burn drugs, I feel like it's like a sugar thing. It's like the really the best satisfaction is just being able to sustain like making a living off of this, that's been like, I think that the deeper reward has been to be able to wake up every day. Like I pinch myself and I kind of freak out a little bit too. Like I wake up going, Oh my God, how did like, how do I live in this house? Like off of music, like it's like every day I'm re remembering this crazy dream is real, you know? So that's definitely that's the highest so high cool. I would say. Yeah. Like, and that's Love one that, that. last, <laughs> but the low one, yeah. it's interesting. I don't know. I don't know if I can talk about it because it's uh, like for legal issues, but um, let me think of another one.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't, you don't need to like put yourself on the spot like that or anything, but the reason I asked the question is just, I think that, I mean, maybe coming back to a little bit of what we talked on a little bit of the cancer thing of like, I think everybody goes through those lows and it's so easy to get discouraged and you can go back. And I think that that gives you such profound insight on future you and things like that and i think that sharing those and hearing those from other people is inspiring and encouraging to get through things so that's why i ask
1: well i would say so since i i wish i could speak about it because it's so it's actually another crazy experience and i can tell you after if you want but um i would say my general note for the moments that do feel low like things that maybe you hoped would connect that didn't or like albums that go into the world that don't you know, react the way that you hoped or placements that don't sink, all these little things where you're like, oh, I really was hoping for that, is for me is I just remain as fluid and just kind of like, okay, it's not this one. It's going to be the next one and just keep trusting. And then the thing that's supposed to align will. Um, And that keeps me from getting too, like, down about, like, the losses. Because especially, like, in the trailer world, like, I actually had to stop paying attention to it because when you're, like, up for this trailer, up for that... And then you don't get it. And it's getting harder these days. Like it kind of was like, oh man, this could like really knock me emotionally out of loving what I do. So I literally also completely stopped paying attention to what placements I got or didn't get, or like and just emotionally pulled myself out of that and just stick to every week, what's the mission? You know, is it scoring a video game thing that I'm hired for? Is it making my own music because I have some free time? like just keep looking forward and try not to like, and also being able to adapt and evolve because if I had stayed doing 10 years ago, the same stuff i you know, if I kept trying to do that still. Like, I don't think I would be here or like have sustained a career, but being able to adapt and evolve and sort of like find these new areas as the industry is ever changing. And like the trailer world exploded and got really saturated and really tough Like, there's no way I could ever get that many placements like I did in 2011. Even if I wrote the best trailer album in the universe and put it out, it wouldn't get that many placements because of just the nature of the industry and the game has changed. But there has been lots of cool little new opportunities that have come. So, you know, being um, fluid and flexible and looking forward, I think, would be my, my main bits of advice. Yeah.
0: I like that. Damn dude. I think we did the thing. I think we did it. Did I miss anything in the story? Was there any bit of it where you had anything else to say there? Did I miss any really crucial pieces?
1: I'm trying to think now. I think we pretty much covered the, I mean, it's a pretty overarching long tale too. So this is, yes. Got it out. I feel it's, it's,
0: it's only an hour, so if, if there are little bits, but I think we did a good job. I definitely understand your story more now, having not really known too much of it, and it was a really fun thing to learn. Uh, where can everybody find you?
1: So I have, um, I'm on, you know, all the social media platforms, but uh, Spotify, we've been really good about getting yeah. the new releases up there. Uh, I have a yeah. YouTube channel that I'm doing. A lot of my scores or things that don't go on Spotify can go on YouTube, oh, so cool. searching my name. Danny cock you'll find me on all those things soundcloud we do um some stuff but my own website too I kind of have everything always there so I've got like a ton of videos um kind of taken down my trailer stuff because it's a little bit older so I have more of my artist stuff up and some of the short films and video game work that I've been doing um Instagram I'm on there that's probably where like I'm the most reachable I don't really go like I'm on Facebook but it's not really me
0: so. <laughs> nobody uses Facebook. Yeah, anymore. nobody Don't, uses Facebook. No, it's only no, gotten worse too. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's just like for our moms to like tag us in photos. I think they're
1: even bailing on. too. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, cool. And then uh, for anybody listening to spell your name, it's D A N N Y C O C K E. That's it. And is your what's your IG tag?
1: Uh, Danny Cock there as well same yep, yep, just same. spelled out and then the cool. website's dannycock.com
0: easy all right man well thank you so much for doing this this was a real fun one again i love kind of i love doing an episode where i don't know too much of the story because it's just these moments where i'm like whoa wait what so this okay. was really fun
1: that's awesome thank you andrew yeah i love like i forget about all this stuff cuz it feels like four mm-hmm. or five lifetimes ago so it's kind of cool to be like oh yeah geez, all this it's been a long road yeah. to get here. I'm going to appreciate today a little bit more.
0: Yeah, I know. It's nice. It's nice. That I think we don't do that enough to just take a second and look at what we have accomplished. And be like, Oh, wait. Hey, self, I'm proud of you. Yeah, that's look cool.
1: behind us every now and then. It's, a, it's been a long path, so that's cool.
0: There it is, Danny's story. I really hope you liked it. I hope you found some good insight and perspective in there, I certainly found it super helpful myself. I think even outside of being a composer, he had a lot of great advice that's applicable to anybody. If you made it all the way to the end of this and you enjoyed the show, if you're thinking, dang, that was a good hour, Andrew and Danny. Thanks for that conversation. If you want to go above and beyond, make sure to share this episode on social media. Make sure to subscribe wherever you're listening. And the utmost craziest thing that you can do is if you do want to support the show, I just opened up listener support. You can find it at whereareallmyfriends.com. There's a little donate button. Don't feel obligated, but if you want to throw some love to the show, I do appreciate it. There you have it. I'll be back next week with another episode.